Welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. On this week's episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast, I am joined by CEO and co-founder of Bean Ninjas, Meryl Johnston. Our topic this week is a behind-the-scenes look at what goes on in the accounting department at Bean Ninjas. We're going to get a really good overview of all of their processes and what they've set up so far. We're going to talk about reporting. There is one report and one specific metric that Meryl herself still looks at every single week. We're going to find out what that is and why it's so important. We're going to talk to Meryl a little bit about the wage that she pays herself. She set up her own pay as a CEO in a really unique way. I've never heard of a CEO setting things up this way from the beginning as a startup company. And I think it had a huge impact on her ability to focus on the task at hand and not get overwhelmed by stress as so many CEOs do in the first few years as a startup company. And then we're also going to talk about internal controls. There are things that you you can put in place to make sure you never have a rogue accountant committing fraud inside of your own accounting office. So Meryl's going to talk to us about that, how to set it up right to begin with, how to fix it if you didn't do that, and give us a little bit of an inside look and how she avoids having any of those issues in her own office. So that's what's coming up now on this episode of the Bean Ninja Podcast. Well, we are back for another episode. Meryl, thank you again for joining me today and co-hosting with me again. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. It's great to be here. Excellent. And I know, again, we always talk about it. It's very early in the morning for you there, and you're sacrificing your morning surf to chat with me. And I don't take that lightly. I think it's amazing. It's really hard to get even you know mildly successful CEOs and co-founders to find time to you know chat on a weekly basis or do anything like that so i know giving up your surf it's kind of like giving up your your mindfulness and the way that you're setting up your day for today so i appreciate it and i want to talk to you a little bit about what's been going on with you in the last week and a few days but before i move into that i just want to let our listeners know that I'm really excited about today's topic because you're going to take us deep inside, remove all the protective blinders and be really transparent and give us a look at accounting inside being ninjas, which doesn't mean you're going to tell us how you handle accounting for your clients. You're actually going to lay out for us and detail for us how you handle the accounting for your own company which is something so few podcasts or blogs ever discuss, especially considering, you know, entrepreneurs need to address that. So we'll get into all that. I'm super excited, as you can tell. But before we do, I'm going to find out a little bit about your week. Last time we spoke, you had just closed on a new house. Have you moved in yet? We've just moved in. So it's been a a very busy time. We did a quick renovation where we painted the whole house ripped up the carpet, polished floorboards, and we've actually just moved in a couple of days ago. Wow. Now you put some serious urgency into getting that much work done in a short period of time. Did you do it yourself or were you able to hire out the actual work? We did a lot of it ourselves. So we, nice. we did all of the painting apart from one of the ceilings, which was a bit bit tricky. We had professionals do that. We pulled up the carpets and then we got had a floor sander do that part. 
and we've done a lot of the garden ourselves with, with help from friends and family too. Wow. I want friends like yours because <laughs> I ask my friends just to like, you know, help me move or something. And they're like, mm, no, <laughs> I think we owe a lot of people a lot of favors. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be doing a lot of free accounting later. <laughs> well, that is awesome. So you've moved in now. Are you going to be doing more renovations while you're living there or is it good to go and you're happy with it in the state that it is? No more renovations for a while. So we're, we're happy with the house as it is down the track. We might do some other things, but I can't see that happening for a couple of years. Awesome. So we're happy with it. It's very livable now. And we've got a beautiful deck, which is just a, a really relaxing place to be. I feel calm as soon as I sit out there. Oh, nice. I remember we were talking before about you had a couple of different um, spots in, on the property where you thought you could do some of your yoga and stuff. So it sounds like the deck is going to be your, your number one go-to, huh? Exactly. Awesome. And that is so nice that you're able to move in, you know, get your renovations done really quickly, you know, do the painting and sort of the, you know, personal touches that you wanted. And now you can live there without, you know, having to redo a kitchen or a bathroom in the middle of <laughs> trying to also live. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. Excellent. Well, as I mentioned, I'm really excited about today's topic because I, I think it is just it is brave that you are willing to be so transparent and to kind of walk us through this. And it again, I know I say this probably every episode. It's just more of that extremely invaluable information that you're sharing because, you know, so many people tell entrepreneurs and CEOs how to hire, how to, you know, grow, how to scale into new markets. You know, there are all of these sort of obvious topics that people always address. But going inside of successful accounting and really highlighting why that's important and what good accounting within your own company looks like, no one really talks about that very much. And so I'm really excited to get into it today. Um, you know, the first thing that we're going to talk about is kind of the why behind the what. Um, and that's something I love to do is, is not just find out what you're doing, but why. So we're talking about Bean Ninja's very own accounting practices today. And you're taking us, you know, really deep inside and being very transparent with us. Tell me why are a company's, I mean, obviously a company's finances are important. You know, that's not, <laughs> that's not brand new information to anyone, but why is it so important that CEOs and entrepreneurs and founders, co-founders, um, why is it so important for them to learn lessons from you about finances? I know at one point you said, you know, you never want to be the plumber who has a leaky tap. What does that mean? Tell me a little bit about that. So as a accounting and bookkeeping firm, I thought it was important that we're setting the bar and following, we talk about this practice, but I think that we need to actually be living that and executing on that in our own business. So when I talk to clients, I want to be able to say that, well, this is how we do things at Bean Ninjas, not just say to someone else, this is what I think you should do. But these are actually things that we're doing in our own business because we believe in these processes, we believe in these tools, and and this is helping our business to run and, and have insight into our finances successfully. So I really wanted to be able to not just talk the talk, but actually demonstrate that we're doing these things in our own business and naturally helping us to successfully manage finances, things like reporting and cash flow. Yeah. And you hear that analogy so many times with regarding everything, you know, you hear about 
the lawn maintenance guy that doesn't grow any grass at home or <laughs> the makeup professional that never puts on makeup, you know, and you, you hear that a lot. And I think it's something people kind of take for granted is if this is what you do for a living, then within your own house, within your own company, it may be a little bit of a mess, um, but it's not true for you. And it's something that you set out from the very beginning. It was one of your early goals is to make sure that you are sort of walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Um, and I know in the beginning, you and your co-founder, Ben, were doing everything. Tell me a little bit about your early stage accounting, what it looked like, and then what you changed and why it was important to make those changes. In the beginning, Ben and I both were involved in doing our accounting and in our zero file. And I think being accountants, we were very interested. So I would be in there often at least a couple of times a week, sometimes every day, just having a look if transactions were coming through, different sales that we'd made. And it actually took us quite some time to delegate any of the accounting role. So in the early days, we were we, we, we set up a process where we paid suppliers and payroll on Mondays, and we've, we did that from very early in the business, and that's still our process now. And then we also were, were regularly in there looking at things like our profit and loss and discussing things like margins. But it took us probably longer than it should have to, to actually delegate any of the accounting role out, which is interesting because we built Beamingers with the intention of having different team members do everything client-facing, but also a lot of the operational side of the business, we wanted to have team members running that too so that as founders we could concentrate on growth. So the interesting that it took us right. a long time, <laughs> almost, well, at least almost two years to get anyone else in the team involved in our internal accounting. And so when you, and that's funny, that and that's, that seems to be how it goes, especially, you know, if you are entrepreneurial and you've started your own business, especially for you and Ben, I think, when you have co-founders that are doing the bulk of the work, you actually have rolled your sleeves up, you know, you're in there, you're ful you're fulfilling daily goals and doing all of these tasks for your clients and to grow the business on your own. You know it frontwards and backwards. You've spent two years or however long, you know, um, learning what works and what doesn't work. And it is difficult for you to kind of turn that over and, and let those reins go because no one has done it as long as you have for your company. So um, I hear that a lot from CEOs and from their team that it's really hard for the CEO to kind of let go of certain tasks um, just because no one's done it as long as they have. And they started the company doing that and it feels unnatural. I think for a season, it feels unnatural to kind of turn that over and let someone else um, take over some of those tasks. You you have a number of people. Um, we're just kind of going to go through a little overview uh, here of what you have going on internally because I want the listeners to be able to see clearly what you've created and, and why it's working for you. Um, you have an internal accountant that's responsible for a certain number of tasks, and then you have um, weekly payroll and supplier payments. You have a debtors meeting every week, which I think is really, really important, and I want to hear about that. Go through those things and share for me what they are, what the roles are, um, and why you've divided them up the way you have. We so our internal accountant is responsible for setting up our payments for suppliers every Monday, and also running our weekly payroll. And she also handles the back end of reconciliations for things like our sales invoices but 
with our debtors meeting, we have three different managers in the business that are responsible for different teams. And not that we have a lot of debtors because our clients, our monthly bookkeeping clients are on and, and weekly clients, they're all on direct debit recurring subscriptions. But whenever someone new starts with us, we often have catch-up work or a zero setup or some kind of zero health check at the beginning. And that's where it's not on a direct debit and we we send invoices. And I wanted there to be accountability from each of the managers for not just generating sales, but also making sure that their customers were paying on time. And by having that weekly debtors meeting, each of the managers talks through any outstanding debts in their team and it just encourages them to be on top of that and prioritise chasing cash flow rather than just sales because we, we want sales, but we also need the money in the bank account. So yeah. there's, there's a key weekly processes that happen and then we have a separate end-of-month process where our internal accountant prepares a set of reports and we have different adjustments that we make as part of that month-end process. And then I, once we finalise the figures, that's when I then look at the reports to start making decisions and see if there's anything, any improvements we can make. And with your with the weekly debtors meeting, I know as a company grows, there's often, you know, some people would start to feel maybe weekly is too much. Maybe we could do this every other week. Why is it important for you to have that every single week? I want cash flow to be top of mind, not just for me, but for the other managers in the business, because that, that's what is driving our business. And the more cash flow we can generate, the more we can spend on things like marketing or, or team retreats. It, it creates a lot more opportunity within the business. And I think it's important to set the tone that that's really important not just from our internal accounting team, but for the team broadly. And then those managers can also communicate that to their teams. And by having that discussion weekly, it doesn't necessarily need to be a long meeting. And we, we also talk about other things in that meeting, but at least every week we're talking about it. And because the managers need to prepare for that meeting, it means a couple of times a week, they're actually looking at their client list, thinking about debtors and actually getting in touch with people if, if something requires action. Whereas I think if it's less frequent than that, then the gap between taking action or something slipping through the, the cracks is too great. And you have a really international team. So I know that next week we're going to talk about um, building a remote company and working with people when you have not just you know people who are working from home within the city that your company is located, but Bean Ninjas really is international and you have offices and employees all over the world. So next week when we get into that, I do want to ask you how those weekly meetings um, are successful, how you're able to do that when you're when you're working with people that are kind of all over the place and you know how you see the future of Bean Ninjas as you continue to grow and have more employees in even more far and away locations, how you plan to make that work. So we'll get into that next week because I think that's an important part of um, anytime you talk about weekly, monthly meetings, um, you know, how you're able to rally the team and kind of keep them excited on a goal like that. Because like you're saying, the debtors meeting is important to you because cash flow is important. And having this meeting every single week keeps it top of mind for those employees. And I think it's important with weekly meetings that it doesn't kind of become a humdrum. You know, we're going to talk about the same thing and the same people are going to say the same things. Um, so you do a really good job. You have a really engaged team. And next week we'll get into that, um, how you're able to do that 
especially with a remote international team. Um, let's talk a little bit. Um, I want to move on just a second and talk a little bit about some of your reporting. Um, we talked, I think, in episode one or two, um, we got into the importance of procedures and processes that you've built. Uh, so if anyone missed those, definitely go back and listen to previous episodes because you talked so much about the value of the procedures and processes that you built. Even when you were planning, you were doing that seven-day launch. We talked about that. Um, I believe it was episode one. And even the things that you created in that seven days, you're still using a lot of those processes and some of those procedures remain in place today. And part of that, I think, is some of your reporting. So tell me a little bit about your reporting. When you're talking about your own accounting, what are the most important metrics that you're tracking for your uh, accounting in-house? In terms of overall performance of the business, our number one metric is MRR, monthly recurring revenue. And the reason that's so important to us is because, one, it's a reflection of growth. So new clients that come on board, our key is for them to become – or our our goal is for them to become recurring bookkeeping clients rather than just one-off jobs. And it's also a reflection of how well we're serving our existing customers because if we have someone leave, then it also reduces that MRR. So that is our number one key metric. And there's other factors – or there's a number of factors that go into what that number is. Mm -hmm. And that's something we actually track that on a weekly basis. We have a sales, one of our uh, key team members does a sales update video every week. And we report that internally every week together with any new clients that have come on board. So the team are really clear about, we're very clear about what our goal is and also how we're tracking against that. And again, that's on a a weekly basis. So that's our number one metric. And there's, a number of other things we track in the business like job profitability and at the moment that's more on an exceptions basis we have a feel for how well different jobs are going and on an exceptions basis we'll then identify right we, we might need to change the scope or have a some kind of discussion with this particular client because transaction volumes increased or, or something has changed and now the work's taking a lot longer and we're able to track that because we allocate the, the t- everyone in our team keeps a timesheet and we allocate time against different jobs, which is not, not used to assess their performance. It's more just internal data so that we can use that information to make decisions about how we're pricing different things within the business. And I want to segue for a quick minute because I take for granted that everyone who's listening knows what Bean Ninjas is and what you do. But because MRR is your key sort of number one um, metric that you're tracking and the number one report, you're looking at it on a weekly basis. Tell me a little bit about the opportunities to grow your MRR. Obviously, new clients coming on board. Are there are there any opportunities for existing clients to do more with Bean Ninjas to where you're able you're actually able to increase revenue from an existing client? There are the way that we've structured our packages. The intention is that as a business grows, we can offer more accounting services to that same client. And the reason we've done that is we realise that a very new business, things like accrual accounting, which is a more time-consuming way of doing accounting, it might not be practical for a business in their first year. But as a business grows, we want to help them follow best practice accounting procedures as as they grow and the cost benefit is there. And so the way we've structured our packages is someone might start in our small package, but then their business grows, they want more accurate reporting, 
and they move into our standard package where we do accrual accounting and match receipts with particular transactions. And then they continue to grow and need custom reports. And that's when they would move into our premium package where we're doing more detailed tracking of information and can prepare custom reports. Okay. So your sales team is working to bring on new clients and then also sort of reassessing existing clients to see if they need uh, more services, kind of an upsell, but it's really based on the growth of that individual company. So you really can see marked differences week by week. Even if your sales team hasn't necessarily brought on a new client yet this week, there may be growth in some other areas. Yes, correct. Got it. Um, and another thing that you and I had talked about before um, is your own sort of how you pay yourself. Tell me, and I'm again, amazed and blown away that you're willing to share this information with us, but it is, you know, really valuable information, um, for us to kind of learn. And I'm, you know, I've never been in, I've been a CEO myself. I've spoken with a lot of them, never really asked them any questions surrounding sort of how they pay themselves. You know, some of the larger companies, they'll, you know, give some information about it and talk about why they do what they do with their executive team, as far as their payroll and whatnot. And you're willing to talk some about how you pay yourself. Tell me a little bit about that and why is it even important to you to be able to share that? I think a lot of business owners mix in their personal finances with their business and they don't pay themselves a set wage, which then makes it very difficult to manage personal finances because they don't actually know how much they're earning personally each week. And Again, it took a while for Ben and I to be able to pay ourselves in the business. It, we, in the beginning, there wasn't any money available. But as soon as there was, then we paid ourselves a set amount each week. And that's something I've continued to do. So I'm on the payroll like other people in the team. And I think that's important to separate ownership from working in the business. So I'm paid a salary for the work that I do in the business. And then as an, and this is important because we have an investor in Ben Ninjas. I'm, I own a, an equity or the majority equity stake in Beaninjas, but we have another investor too. And for the investment, I'm paid in dividends or a, you know, a share of profit. And I think it's really important to separate that. And then having that, that regular wage means that I can then plan my personal finances and be really clear about what I'm bringing in and, and what I can spend and, and how I can invest my, my personal finances. And I think it's really important to make that distinction between business and personal. And I think that's probably one of the biggest differences in you as a CEO, because you're also an accountant and you, you think differently. I think most CEOs have this idea that, you know, oh, there's no success without risk. And there's some truth in that. But what you're teaching us is you can grow a company to be wildly successful in just three years, like you have at Bean Ninjas, but also be really responsible and reduce the risk to an extent. Uh, you continued to work uh, a full-time job with your own consulting clients when you were growing Bean Ninjas in initially, and so did Ben, your uh, previous co-founder. Um, and so this is kind of all along the same way of thinking, which is really different. And it's different even from what I hear a lot of people coaching entrepreneurs and, and, you know, 
soon-to-be CEOs, they just think, you hear a lot of it about, think about, don't think about the risk, you know, you got to go for it, you know, you got to put in the sweat equity, and, and there's just this idea that you work 80 hours and you take what you can at the end of the week for your own pay, and and it's just a risk if you're not able to, you know, if you have to mortgage your house, or, you know, there's just all of these huge risks that are being that have kind of become commonplace. It's like, oh, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you kind of have to risk your own mortgage. And what I hear from you is not only do you not agree with that, but you set it up in a way so that you're able to be part of the team as a paid employee, really, of the company, even though you own and run the company. But you've set it up so that when you go home at the end of the week, you know what your paycheck is going to be, and you're able to kind of continue in your personal life what you need buy what you need, buy a home when you're ready. Uh, and owning being ninjas hasn't sort of bled over into your personal life to the degree that it's now affecting, you know, if you have a, a, a slump in a quarter at being ninjas, it's not affecting your ability to pay your mortgage. And I think the, that makes a huge difference in how your team experiences being ninjas and how they experience you as a CEO. Um, you know, I've always said, I don't want the person that I'm going to for my paycheck to be worried about their paycheck. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that is not and a I good feeling just, for me. <laughs> and I might just add to that. While we got paid a regular wage, in the beginning it was very small. So I knew that I was getting paid just a very small weekly amount and mm-hmm. that I really had to cut back my – I really cut back my personal expenses for the first couple of years of the of being injured mm-hmm. and it was only as the business so I was what the lowest paid or one of the lowest paid employees at, at some stages of the business because I wanted to attract the right staff into the business and I needed to make sure that they were being rewarded and it was only as the business grew that I was able to increase my wage but even when I was getting paid a very small amount it was still a set a weekly amount which meant that I knew how much that I had available, which at, at, in the early stages was not a lot. But as you said, I was also very aware of the risks involved and, and minimising my personal risk and being conscious of what I was willing to put on the line and what I wasn't. And, you know, I think that is such an important lesson. And it's really interesting because really what you're saying there is you had sort of your own personal internal controls like you would and do have at Be Ninjas, you know, you, you, you minimized the risk as much as you could. You prepared in advance. You accepted the reality of what you were realistically going to be able to pay yourself, you know, in the first year or two years. Um, and you adjusted accordingly. Let's talk a little bit about internal controls at Be Ninjas. How are those set up and why are the controls you have in place important? I think to get comfortable with having someone else within your business being involved in the accounting, you need to have some controls in place and they're what help you get comfortable with that. So, for example, with our accounts payable process where we're paying different suppliers, our internal accounting loads all of those into zero and then I select what invoices we're going to pay that week, which we, we basically just pay everything that's before or on time we don't want to pay anyone late so I'll select all of those invoices and once she's seen that they're I've approved them she actually has read-only access to our bank account where she'll go and load those invoices for payment which makes it very easy for me then to approve the payment so there's a couple of internal controls that we have in that process as an example 
by only having read-only access, and I would do the same with, with anyone, even though I've got a lot of trust with our internal accountant, I think it's best practice that the person that is loading the payment doesn't have the ability to authorise payments. And I'm the person that I'm the one that has access to actually authorize the payment. So that's why, one. why is that important? Like what difference would it make if she did have the authority to do both? So if you did have a rogue bookkeeper or accountant, which can happen, <laughs> and I've got a lot of trust in my team, but with my audit background, I've seen it's, it's a lot more common than people are aware of. It's not really talked about how often fraud happens, mm. but a common example of a way that someone can commit fraud is to create additional supplier invoices which have their own bank account details and then as they're loading that payment, they approve and pay themselves that money. It might look like they're paying um, oh. Bunnings or the office works, but actually the money is going into their own bank account and if they have the ability to actually approve those payments, then the, you wouldn't as the business owner industry even notice Wow. And that actually links into the second control, which is who has the ability. So if you're using a payment process like I've just described, then you're loading bank details for each supplier. That information is coming from the accounting software, Xero. And so you also need to be aware of who has access to change bank account details within Xero. And so that's something else I have oversight over and also occasion you would I also recommend running reports on that. There's a report in the assurance dashboard in Xero where you can see which bank account details have been changed. So there's there are two internal controls around paying bills. One is not or being aware of who actually can make payments from your bank account and who can take money out. And the other is if you're using that accounts payable process I described, who can change supplier bank account details where you think you're paying office works, but you're actually if you've got a, a road bookkeeper, you, you might be paying them. Tell me a little bit about, so let's say we have someone listening that is the CEO of a relatively young company. And you know, some of these things that you have in place at Bean Ninjas, they're listening to the podcast and they're thinking, I really need to get a handle on this. And, and a lot of CEOs don't have any type of accounting or bookkeeping experience and they'll either outsource it or hire someone, you know, kind of part-time to come in a few hours a month and do what needs to be done. And, and honestly, you know, most CEOs don't have time to kind of get into the granular details of what's going on in their accounting office, but maybe they're hearing something that you're talking about today and either they don't know if they have it in place or they know they definitely don't have it in place and now they know they need to. How do you recommend someone who's gotten so far into growing their business, maybe the first three years or so, um, now they need to go back and, and make some changes. What do you recommend for that CEO or that um, operations director that's hearing this and kind of panicking right now because they wouldn't know if they did have a rogue, <laughs> a rogue person with accessing payments and whatnot? What, how do you recommend someone sort of fix any issues they're identifying after listening to this today? I think the, the key point there is who has control of the bank account mm-hmm. because if it's just uh, someone with access to zero, then th- there's no money that can be removed anywhere and it's more just making sure the bookkeeper would then just be making sure the records are accurate. So th- the risk is when someone has access to different bank, a- to bank accounts or credit cards on your behalf. And so if you were a CEO and you have given your bookkeeper access to that, then I'd recommend in the ninety-five percent of the time that it's probably fine, but just keep an eye on expenses. And if you're looking, 
the if you're looking at your reports on a monthly basis, which I hope that everyone is, then you'll notice if, if expenses seem high. In a small business, you would notice if there was any costs that seemed out of place or, or seemed high. But I do also, if, if you did have some concerns, instead of looking at your reports that are coming from the accounting software, I'd recommend just jumping into your internet banking and just having a quick look at transactions in there to make sure that things are in line with what you're expecting. Because in a small business, I'd say that operations directors or CEOs would have a pretty clear picture of what their regular costs are and something would jump out. I think it gets more difficult in much bigger businesses where there's so many transactions that things can get missed. Really, really good to know and definitely something that any CEO or operations director definitely wants to look at, think about, maybe re-examine what they've done. And another layer to that, again, that I think is going to be really interesting, next episode we're going to talk about building a remote team, building a remote company, starting out you know, day one as a remote company, and then growing it as an international remote company. And I think that adds another layer to this conversation because you're able to build the processes and have these internal controls, even when you're working with people that are quite far away from you and a lot of times in different time zones. So we're going to talk about that on the next episode. But for today, I think we will stop here. Um, We may do a part two and get into some more details of this later because I think there's so much more that we can learn from you and definitely young CEOs and those beginning their own companies um, ready to launch a startup. They want to go back and listen to the first few episodes because everything that you talked about today is part of things that you built and considered and planned for in your seven-day launch and in your first year when you were adjusting things that needed to be adjusted. You know, you're able to avoid having any panic moments (laughs) when you listen to a podcast because you thought things through um, all the way through in the beginning before you ever put a plan in place. So I think that is the best way to go. Definitely, if you're starting a company, you want to go back and listen to the first few episodes. If you're already uh, running a company, definitely want to you know look through. Um, we're going to link to some, I think, blogs that you've written about some of this stuff. So that'll be in the show notes. But we're done for today. Meryl, thank you so much for joining me. Next week, we're going to talk about your company as a remote company and how you were able to achieve that. Um, any last words of advice or pieces of wisdom that you want to tell people about accounting? I think just not to, to discount it, I realized that when businesses first start out, it's most important to generate sales and cash flow. But as soon as that's working, make sure that you do get on top of your finances, get some kind of cloud accounting software like Zero set up and make sure that you are looking at your reports. It's a really important part of your business to have that accounting software and to be looking at your reports and to be staying on top of your cash flow. Definitely not something that you want to let procrastination catch you uh, taking your time with. Thank you so much, Meryl, for joining me again today. I look forward to speaking to you next week. This is the Bean Ninjas podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us on this week's episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. Do not forget, head on over to the Bean Ninjas blog at beanninjas.com slash blog to learn more from Meryl and her team. This week's show notes are going to include links to a few specific blogs that Meryl recommends for anyone that listened and wants to learn a little bit more about accounting at Bean Ninjas. And as always, you can tweet to us at Bean Ninjas and let us know what topics you want us to cover in future episodes of the Bean Ninjas podcast.